What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's Resistance and Residence artist is multidisciplinary artist, choreographer, and dancer, Jose Navarrete, co-founder of the NACA Dance Theater. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jose. Hello, Cabrox. Thank you so much for being here with you. It's a pleasure. I love when I get to have my friends on the show. It was like the best part of my job. Um, Jose, I want to start a little bit about you and specifically where and how you grew up. What was your family like? Okay, well, I was born in Mexico City. I am a native of Mexico City, and I immigrated 33 years ago to the Bay Area. Um, I crossed the border, and I managed myself to survive here. And it's really interesting because I came to Oakland. I never left Oakland. So I, I have been here for a long time, and it has been quite a... And experience being here, continue doing my work as an artist. So, yeah, so I am a performing artist and um, I do a lot of work uh, mainly focusing in communities, um, being in the margin. So, like, um, yeah, so I do this work that also has to do with this idea of aesthetics like committed aesthetics or aesthetics of that involves or connects social justice to the work in this kind of yeah yeah and we're going to tug on that thread um in, in more detail in a little bit talk to my listeners about when you're an amazing choreographer an amazing dancer when did you discover dance well i discovered dance when i was in in high school and I knew that I I enjoy so much. And I started choreographing quinceañeras, you know, quinceañeras, this kind of like parties for uh, 15 years old girls that it's like coming of age. So I got really good um, doing uh, choreographing uh, quinceañeras. And then um, I start pursuing very deeply the dance field. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to 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 the art school, and um, I felt that uh, it was very um, that I have many options. But I think in the options that I have, one category was assigned for me, <laughs> which was folklorico, and um, and it was really weird because I started really seeing the difference between. You know, if I wanted to do a ballet dancer or want to be a contemporary dancer, like there are these differences that has to be, that is based on class and race. So for me, it was really, really kind of um, intense to try to figure out from there, like how racism happens in also in Mexico. And then I decide, you know, uh, I think I was 21 when I decided I was... I wanted to continue dancing. I, my dream was to go to New York to study with Alvin Ellie. Um, that was my that was my dream, and um, I found I have some friends that they were working in Oakland. And I said, like, if you want to come, just I can help you. We can figure it out either way. So I managed to 
to prepare myself to go to the journey. And I came to Oakland and then two years later, being in Oakland, I decided to go to New York. And I went to New York um, and it was winter and it was extremely expensive. And I, it was really heartbroken because I really wanted to be there, but it, it was very hard for my body and also for the economy or the money that I didn't have. So I decided to go back to Oakland to California, which I love the weather and the landscape. And I say, well, I think this is a place that I need to be. So that's kind of my story of how I came here pursuing dance and the dream to be studying with Albinelli Dance Company. Jose, can you say a little bit more about the race and class issues inside of the dance world? Oh, there's... There is so many, there is so many. I remember like I wanted to dance. Um, I didn't have enough opportunities because I was a, a little bit short and I was dark. And I I remember that I was, you know, pursuing, you know, do work with choreographers and I wasn't chosen to do that because of my, of my, of my body and my skin and, I noticed that if you were white or tall or kind of European kind of looking, you were able to have more opportunities. So it really, really impacted me a lot seeing that. Um, impacted, yeah, that it really happened to me many times. And because I wanted to, at the beginning, I wanted to study ballet and it's like, oh, you don't have the body. You know, you're too short or like, no, no, you need to be tall and white. And that was very clear to me. And then it's like, okay, well, and they say like, but you can do folklorico. And they're like, it's not that I like, I don't like folklorico, but it, I, I want something. And it's like, no, no, but folklorico is for you. You know, like you are like this kind of, you know, you know, people, indigenous people doing their, their dances. I like that. That's where you belong. I said, no, no, I am more weird. No, no, no. I wanted to feel that something. And I think contemporary dance, modern dance became my, the place that I felt that I belonged. It was a little bit more, you know, creative, more like that I feel that I was able to use my imagination more, but it's still, you know, it was uh, very um, compartmentalized in race, you know? And when I came to San Francisco, I got involved in the community, in the dance community. And also I see those changes here. Like I, I saw like, you know, the division of, of class and, and race very, very clear. And, and that's the reason that I felt like, no, I need to figure out a way in which I can do my own work that it pertains to my story, my, the, the things that I, that I can share with people. And that's the reason that I decided with Debbie Kajama to create a dance company. That really resonates with me. You know, I started dancing when I was two and um, ballet and the body stuff. Right, you couldn't oh, lean yeah. around. You're too big boned, um, which which led me and I know so many other dancers right to have eating disorders, to have body oh, dysmorphia, um, and then of course the race stuff, particularly in the ballet world. So I really wanted us to just spend a moment there because it's not something that's talked about 
um, very loudly outside of the dance world and folks don't understand how violent um, that world can be. So you did go on to form NACA Dance Theater. Talk to us about NACA and its history. Yeah, well, we, um, um, I remember that um, it was the first time I was doing a project that I was investigating the icon stage, you know, the the um, cinema uh, icons of the 20s, Rudolf Valentino, the kind of the Latin lover. And I was, at that time, I was very interested in Argentine tango. So it was that connection of the, you know, the Latin lover and the tango that it kind of put, draw me my attention. And I started working with that. And I remember, like, I got some uh, commission to do the work at Theater Arto in San Francisco. And and I was so happy. And I said, like, oh, but I need people to dance with me. And I it was the first time that I called for a, an audition. And um, and Debbie Kashijama came in and... and she was very interested in this social partnering and on the tango, and uh, she got the job. And then from there, we start really building a strong, strong collaboration with Evika Shama. Uh, we start working together, uh, creating a small uh, projects, choreographic projects, and then in two thousand one, we decide to establish our company that pertain the creation and the process, artistic process of our own. And then one thing that it has, like, I think it was a major shift in our company when 2006, we went, we were, um, um, we got a residency at Eastside Arts Alliance. Uh, That was a major shift because we were, our work was very community-based, you know, trying to keep the traditions. We, we did a work in relationship of Dia de los Muertos, Ghost Memories. We work in um, the Latino gay uh, community. We did a work called Terciopelo, Velvet, like a little comedy, drag, queen show. Uh, so we were doing some small, um, we were doing this kind of, you know, community work. But when we went to Eastside, our political discourse became, uh, it gelled, it, it, it transformed to a very clear, like it, 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 we articulate what we wanted to do with our work, which was doing experimental work experimental work that connects, intersects with community justice, uh, social justice. And that was 2007 when we did with La Coche, the Revenge with La Coche, that it, it talked about the issues of food sovereignty and the transgenic uh, attacks of the native crop of Mexico, which is corn. Oh, yeah, so from there, we start working at side, and I think that was my political education university with Greg um, Monosumi, uh, Elena Serrano, and Susan Takehara. I mean, I know the uh, 
the collective there. Like I felt that they support the work very deeply. So, and since then I have, I became, first I was an artist and then I became a staff and now I am a member in the collective. So that's what it happens. Jose, really quickly, for my listeners who don't know what Eastside Arts Alliance is, can you just talk really briefly um, about that fine institution where more people that I love uh, exist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, East Arts Alliance is a collective of cultural workers that work in the community. They have been here for almost 25 years. They produce the Malcolm Jazz Festival, the Malcolm X Jazz Festival every year at the San Antonio Park that it has been an, a very powerful jazz festival in the nation. Now they bring amazing jazz artists to continue the legacy of Malcolm X and all the legacy that has happened in Oakland with the Black Panthers. So I do feel that Isai is the bastion, the flame, of the black art movement as well as the black panthers so like most of our advisory boards are really amazing you know we have emory douglas that's still with us i love emory uh, yeah and so so many people that it will be hard for me to mention because i need it is a, a big long list but th- that's what it is i mean we have in there we own our space in deep east oakland uh, 2277 International between 23rd and 22nd. And we are still there. We are still continue doing work with the community, organizing, being sensitive of the pain of the others. Yeah, so that's, I think, that, I don't know if you, that's a good description of it. I think that's a great, great uh, description. Jose, you touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to ask you more specifically, um, what ways do you utilize your art to engage in social commentary and change? I think um, I, I do feel that there is a lot of power in storytelling. Storytelling, especially those stories that they are not being visible in our in the mainstream and and for me i think working deeply hyper local with communities they are they are local they are in oakland that they live work and stay in oakland are very important to me um i think um the work that that, that we did uh the project that we did the uh, uh, name called anastasio the anastasio project it really involves really reflecting and investigating how horrible is the state violence in our neighborhood regarding, you know, you know, impacting our youth. So we were working, we, we were doing interviews with uh, our youth, local youth, to try to see what, what they think of those tremendous traumas and impacts of the police in our neighborhood. So so for me to collect their stories, to be able to have a process in which my artistic sensitivity comes in with them is very powerful to me. Because I 
I don't think I don't think I'm not I'm uh, I don't think I am uh, intellectual a political intellectual but I do think I am very aware of the power of art bringing community together because I do feel that the community has tremendous knowledge because they live they live the 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 violence industries they live the 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 systems of oppression of this capital system so they i I just like for me i am learning when i listen when i open my ears and time and presence to listen to the stories and it has been wonderful i mean the anastasia project i think it was one of the landmarks because it was so dope I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. It was so yeah. dope. And you really yeah. utilized the space and the neighborhood and the folks from the neighborhood. And it was lovely. I mean, I think that was my introduction to y'all was that project, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was this connection between what happens in our neighborhood and what happened in the border. Yeah. I mean, that was like the whole system of of terror, right? I mean, yeah. we, we identified that as terror that is upon us. So I think it was really powerful for me to do that. And and I think now this work that I'm doing with with Mujeres Unidas, that has been almost like seven, eight years. Working with Mujeres Unidas has been also a tremendous learning experience because actually they are at the front of changing policies, working or like uh, denouncing the, the injustice of labor the immigration laws that affects them and just we like accompany them to see how they go about how they navigate into the systems and and how they wanted to 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 um uh, to keep to care of the community it for me so really powerful and this is it's kind of the same process that i have it's like i just we allow ourselves to listen to the resource because I think the more we listen, it's like we start like getting deep in the stories and then the metaphors, the images, the, the, the magic of creating a poem in their stories comes up. And I think that's for me what I see I can contribute to, to my community is that that try to bring the magic, the poetry, the elevation, the the uh, redemption of 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 the life and the conditions that we are living in this system. Yeah, Jose Navarrete, there's there's the power of us listening, right, and what that does to build intersection intersectionality and solidarity in our movements. Talk a little bit about the power of impacted, marginalized, oppressed communities. Um, being able to utilize art to tell their stories. Um, how does that help them reclaim their agency, their power, the the spirit of self-determination? Well, there is, um, I have a few stories with that because um, I did a work at the Tenderloin uh, with uh, single room occupancy folks. Yes, um, <laughs> so It's the racist stories of the Tenderloin. Um, it was really powerful because um, there is a moment when when we are with them, 
And in this not traditional setting, which means like, okay, so we have a rehearsal, so you're going to be here from two to four, and we have a rehearsal, and we, need, we are going to do everything in that time. That doesn't work for us. We need to go to the community and sp- like stay there. Whenever he comes, it's okay. Sometimes they come and we, we listen to a story, and then a member starts singing, and like, oh, my God. Oh, you have another song. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. So it's like we put ourselves into this, into the environment to listen. And then we start saying, oh, he's a poet. Oh, he's a musician. Oh, he's a storyteller. Oh, he's that. And it's like, okay, can we share that with us a little bit? And then, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Like, okay, let's try to figure out a little thing with you. It's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Like, oh, I like this. No, I like that. So they start choosing what they wanted to say. And for me, when that happens, it's like, this is it. This is the magic. When they have the agency to be in the level of me as an artist, as having an artistic endeavor, to say, like, no, this is my story. And I want to take care of my story. Oh, maybe I want, uh, you know, fly in this in this gate, like, you know, maybe I can hang up with a harness and just like play my guitar. Like, oh yeah, let's, fi- let's figure it out. So like, for me, those moments are really powerful because, because it's like when you see that the art and their stories become, become their own and they see the power of their stories sharing with the public and I, I, and their stories are really embedded in in injustice and how fucked up, um, how horrible is life in, especially in especially in this project in the Tenderloin. So for me, it's like allowing them to to see art, to speak about their stories and about speaking about their situation. I think for me, that's what it is. I don't know if I answered your phone. Your, you did. You did. And this is such a beautiful conversation. And I'm so sad that it has to come to a close. Jose Navarrete, what is up next for Naka Dance Company? Um, and just remember, hold on. Hold on. Remember, we've passed uh, Ibasta Ya. So look forward. Um, yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. We passed Ibasta Ya. Well, well, we just finished. Uh, we will want to finish in this week uh, the project of Ibastaya, which is a reflection performance installation of the seven years that we have been working with Mujeres Unidas Activas. And this Ibastaya is a project that is a storytelling of some testimonies of women survivors of domestic violence, domestic violence and sexual abuse. Um, so it's really powerful. And so but the next thing that we are going to do, we are going to go to Los Angeles. We are going to bring the whole cast of Ibastaya to Los Angeles to Boyle Heights on March, the first week of March. We are working with Union de Vecinos, a powerful, powerful community there that they are hosting us. And we are going to do a street performances in Boyle Heights you know, in downtown Los Angeles. So that's our big, big project of the community performance of Ibastaya with all the members 
that participated in the project. That's beautiful. Um, I want to know more about the domestic violence stuff. You know, the APTP does the non-carceral work around responding to that, and I'm a, I'm a survivor, so keep me posted. Jose Navarrete, where can people go to learn more about NACA Dance Theater Company? We have our uh, website, nakadancetheater.com. You can also Google us, like NACA Dance Theater, and you will find us there. All right, y'all, you have been listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. This week's resistance and residence artist is multidisciplinary artist, choreographer, and dancer, Jose Navarrete, who is also the co-founder of the NACA Dance Theater Company. Jose, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Kat. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.